Hello and welcome to another edition of Back of the Grid. I'm your host, Stu, and I'm joined, as always, by Tom and Chris. Hi. Two at the same time, two in one. Efficient, (laughs) that's what that is. Two fair. Um, Yeah, and today I'm going to be your Sherpa as we climb the mountain that is the preview of the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, I mean, you're bigging this up way more than... Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's what we do. That's what we do in Formula One now. We big up the races <laughs> so high that we don't even notice them happen. <laughs> it's going to be the best race since Miami. Yeah, it sure is. Um, anyone noticed how quiet Formula One's been in the run-up to this race? Like, Weird, that isn't it's it? Me. It's, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's me and I've just like switched off from social media with Formula One because of all the social media leading up to the last race, but this one seems... They seem absent. Like, I've not seen any it's, content. It's almost like it's not a race they're hell-bent on being super successful. Yeah. <laughs> Weird, that. Hmm, yeah. I don't think that's 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 a bit unfair. Little bit unfair, Chris. I mean, they don't but want they... it to fail, but... No. Um. Yeah, so we should probably kick into some news about um, Formula One, since we're a Formula One podcast, and uh, Chris <laughs> has got a whole bunch of that for us. Yeah. Well, um, you say that. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start us off with Formula E. Chris, I'm looking at, a, I'm looking at an episode sheet, and I'm looking at a lot of text. So, <laughs> I'm gonna start us off with Formula E for reasons that will become apparent. Um, okay. Starting with the news that McLaren have confirmed they are purchasing the Mercedes EQ Formula E team. We already knew Mercedes. Uh, we're going to be leaving Formula E before the Gen 3 cars come in next year. And we already knew that McLaren were sort of on the shortlist of new teams to join. So it's always made sense that they just take over this existing entry. Um, obviously, that means McLaren will now be adding Formula E to F1, Extreme E and IndyCar because Zach Brown apparently just likes to race anything with four wheels yeah why not they have said that the current team principal ian james is going to be staying with the team but they've not confirmed anyone else yet including the drivers um so obviously stoffer van Dorn and nick de Vries are the current two drivers it's pretty widely expected i don't think it's been confirmed confirmed but it's basically a given now that van Dorn is going to be joining the Penske team next year. So they are what is currently the Dragon team, but DS, who do power transfer to Cheetah, a jumping ship to uh, sync up with Penske next season. So that sounds like potentially a little bit of a powerhouse team. Um, And I think uh, Jean-Eric Verne is supposed to be following the powertrains to that team. So Van Dorn and Verne drive a lineup pretty tasty there yeah i'm hearing a lot of names and a lot of teammate names and a lot of collaborations and <laughs> i don't know i'm not i'm not getting it, it doesn't really like yes a lot of names of changing and yes maybe like one or two drivers might change but it doesn't feel like the hugely dramatic announcement that it feels like it should be you know what i, I mean? think it would like have McLaren been more exciting to formula e should be like a massive yeah. deal. And instead, it just feels like they're just taking over a team and, and it's just a name change and mm. nothing else. 
Mm. Yeah, it would have been a lot more exciting if it was a brand new entry coming in rather yeah. than just like losing one team and rebranding another one. Yeah, just a rebrand. Mm. Is yeah. it? Is it? It'd be well. It, I mean, it's a shame for me if Stoffel is moving and that goes through because. When you think about Nick DeFries and Stoffel Van Dorn, they've both got history with McLaren. Yeah. So it would have been kind of nice to see all three back together as a as a team again. But we're getting the band back together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Either just, that or just electrified this time. <laughs> Either that or the history they have with McLaren is why neither of them are gonna be there next yeah. season. Yeah. Maybe that maybe that's why Stoffel's looked at a different contract <laughs> because he doesn't want to be there for McLaren. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, De Vries, who's the reigning champion, doesn't have a drive lined up next season, but we'll talk more about him in a little bit. Um, apparently, Rene Rast is understood to be close to striking a deal with McLaren. Um, he did a couple of seasons for Audi in like 2020 and 2021, and he was yeah. he was very impressive, actually, Rene Rast. Um, and then, obviously, Oliver Turvey and Sergio Sete Camera are both on the grid. They've both got history with uh, McLaren. McLaren have also got Felix Rosenquist in IndyCar, and he won like three races from a Hindred Formula E, so he's got a history there. So lots for them to choose from, but yeah, we are expecting a whole new drive lineup there. Hmm. Um, I, I know what you mean, though, Stu. It doesn't feel... I don't know. There's, it, there's it some, there's some level of excitement. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, uh, you know what? Like, this... <laughs> So if if Mercedes, I think the thing that's killing it is Mercedes are selling the the thing that subdues this is Mercedes are selling their team to, aka a Formula One team, are selling their Formula E team to another Formula One team. That's what this is, right? So mm-hmm. there would be if if this was McLaren like setting up their own team uh, within Formula One alongside Mercedes, who also have the sorry from Formula One setting up their team within form a new team within Formula E alongside a Formula One team that has also a Formula E team. So then you've got two mm-hmm. Formula One teams yeah. who also have Formula E teams. Yeah. That would be bigger news because that would raise questions of sustainability within F1 and whether or not people are, you know, is this a trend that's appearing? Are people starting to transition into Formula E from Formula One? What does yeah. this mean for the future of Formula One? And I think the fact that this is a team instead of being a new team, just a team changing hands from one Formula One team to another, it kind of puts that argument to bed. Like people are not going to ask that question as much, Mm. I would say. Mm. Um, I mean, Mercedes have been pretty open in the reason they're leaving Formula E is that they are not getting like the level of sort of technological research they want out of it to make it worthwhile basically they're learning more about electric powertrains from elsewhere because of the way the formula e rules work Hmm. so does that point to a problem within formula e then is is it too is it almost a bit too formulaic because like the the reason the whole reason yeah a bit too spec like the reason a lot of teams went in there in the first place mercedes themselves went in there because they felt they had technology that they could refine and improve within Formula mm-hmm. E, and now they're saying that they yeah. they're not quite getting that out of it because um, the the hmm. sort of the the blueprint Formula E was always first season or two it'd be very very spec to get the series off the ground, 
keep it cheap yeah. to enter, get things going. Then as the seasons went on, open up more and more areas for development. So maybe they're just not doing that opening up of areas at a speed that makes it worthwhile for manufacturers to be in. That being said, Maserati yeah. are joining next year. So it's not like, you know, then again, well, that's part of the Atlantis then. group, isn't it? Uh, yeah, a, a Maserati joining with a view to setting up a whole new team and producing their own drivetrain. Maserati. Research, or are they buying are, another team? <clears throat> Maserati are partnering with the current Rocket Venturi car. Yeah. And yeah. and DS will be supplying their powertrains because they're part of the Stellantis group. Right. So what's happening, what we're seeing happen in Formula E then now is like kind of, it's sort of evolved to a similar stage to what, Formula E got to Formula One got to a few mm. years ago, so well a few a long time ago really. So like you've got people, you've got teams effectively changing hands, but staff members yeah. all remaining in the same place, and mm-hmm. the, the team is still the team. It's just the name of the team has changed. Yeah, right? that's effectively Basically, what's yeah. going on here. But I would say, given that Formula E is kind of still maybe more in that spec series spectrum than it is in the let's build the fastest formula car we can. It's It makes kind of makes sense for McLaren to be in there because a lot of the series that McLaren are racing in at the moment, other than Formula One, are quite spec. You know, you've got yeah. Yeah. Um, the IndyCar series, um, which is very, very spec. Extreme is super spec. Um Formula E is probably less spec than those two, but is still pretty. You know, the the aero spec is the same yeah. for everyone. Yeah, um, the, all the cars look the same in all but livery. It's only the internals that are different. And then, obviously, Formula One is they are well, they're a customer team still. So there's the spec of the engine that they that they're running, but they've always been effectively a. McLaren, you know, McLaren have always been a race team primarily, and then the there have been times, obviously, when they've been a manufacturer team. When they have before Mercedes became just Mercedes, McLaren were yeah. the manufacturer team for Mercedes, but they were still McLaren race team. Uh, we are a yeah. t- we are a company that make race cars and race them. That is their mm-hmm. primary they're, they're building everything except the engines, essentially. And, yeah, you know, so the few spec parts. So with all that in mind, this probably feels like a the right move for McLaren mm-hmm. if they want to get into Formula E, and Formula E feels like a natural place for them when you consider I mean, all of that. Turning up and it's, taking over the reigning championship winning team is not a bad place to start. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they've been completely uninvolved anyway because they've had a lot of involvement with the batteries and yeah. and the powertrains as it yeah, is up to ECUs. now anyway. Like, they were a supplier for the batteries and, and things like mm-hmm. that. So it's not like they're completely just buying into something. Like yeah. they've already got history within the sport, just more of a supplier history than an actual mm-hmm. team history. So I think there's elements of that that will probably go in their favour in, in terms of oh, taking sure. over Mercedes and then I guess running with it and, and trying to continue the success of that team. It is worth noting though that with Mercedes leaving, their powertrains will be disappearing as well. So McLaren will need to find a powertrain supplier, which I've not announced yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the second race in Berlin over the weekend, it was a Mercedes powertrain one, two, three, four. Like that is how good they are in Formula E right now. So yeah. 
um, wow. that's obviously a huge part of their success. Mm. Well, then, that, that, I guess that speaks to the idea that they have achieved everything they want to achieve within yeah. Formula E for the time being. I mean, there's nothing to stop them coming back. You know, if the spec, if the series changes and the, it suddenly becomes a rich bed of research that they can do and, and apply to their road cars, then I'm sure they'll be back quite quickly. And I'm sure there's like mm. pieces in place to allow that to happen. But I think there's there's no point in a company like Mercedes investing all that money in just running the team when there's when there's nothing to gain for them as a no. as a no. as a manufacturer. Yeah. There's not much to gain at this point, so why keep your team? It makes you wonder if they've got an eye on World Endurance Championship again, because obviously you know they're not spending nearly as much on F1 these days because they're not allowed to. So it's mm. not like they're leaving Formula E for financial reasons. So yeah, it's, it's all those jobs have got to go somewhere, don't they? That's the yeah, thing. exactly. You, you, you've got all these staff who are part of this race team, and suddenly there's no money in the race in the Formula One race team anymore. The, the money's there, but like you say, they just can't spend it. So yeah. yeah, maybe that money, in order to keep your staff and and keep your workforce, maybe it does make sense to go off to other race series and spend your money there. And then there's things you can learn from running a, uh, a world endurance car that you could potentially apply over to your formula one car. Right. Mm. I mean, well, like Ferrari yeah. literally said, like we're going into world endurance championship because that's a, essentially a group of people. We don't have to lay off. Like, yeah, that was one of the chief reasons for them exploring WEC. So, yeah, it's an interesting time for Formula E. Like, if you just like stick it on on race day and watch it, it's still a fantastic like offering. Like qualifying the weekend just gone was so entertaining. Um, like one of the duels, they literally crossed the line with point zero zero zero. Like the two of them what? said exactly the same time. Yeah, yeah, um, it was insane. Which was controversial because they applied the whoever sets the lap time first rule. But in the duels, they just get told what order they're going out in. So I think it was yeah. Vern who lost out, who was not best pleased. But like oh, the sucks. race, the racing as well was like fantastic. So as a, like yeah. a show for the viewer, like it's still a fantastic thing. But behind the scenes, it's a very interesting time. Like the way it is, things develop. Uh, a lot. There's a lot riding on these Gen 3 cars, that's for sure. I think that's true. But I also think there's a lot riding on the way... The, it's finally happened. Like Alejandro Agag has finally sort of come out and said, there's a, we need to start looking at a roadmap of how Formula One and Formula E integrate together mm -hmm. over, over the next sort of 10, 15 years, because there is, there is slowly going to be parity between the, the two series. Yeah. Yeah. Formula E only has monopoly on, electronic only powertrains and hydrogen powertrains for the next i think it's 11 years they've got it for another 11 and then which oh, wow, sounds really? like a long time yeah but after that it's it's fair game so yeah. after that point formula one could turn around and say we're going to be an electric series now mm -hmm. having formula e put all the groundwork in and and you know made done all the technological research and made all their cars suddenly yeah. you know you're going to get in 11 years time everyone jumps ship from formula e and it's like oh we're we're going to be a formula one team now because formula one's all electric well um, i mean you look at I, how much formula e technology has come on in the what is it seven eight years it's existed now like yeah. what's that going to look yeah. like in another 11 years like the speed yeah. that technology is developing is crazy yeah i think the charging is the big thing like the charging 
side of it, especially for the Gen 3 car, they're looking at making it so that they're looking at all kinds of fast charging technologies. Now, yeah. right now, it's not clear what form that's going to take, whether that's going to be sort of on the road charging or whether that's going to be pit stop based charging and swapping batteries, that kind of yeah. thing. Like they've not really sort of, they've not really said like, who no, they've how quoted they're like going to do that charging speeds, but not the actual. Yeah. Physical so way happens, that, so. so that is the way for gen three teams. That is how you're going to win and lose races. I think is yeah. who is, who is able to most efficiently charge their car at the fastest speed. Um, and then if, you know, if you crack that, you, you're going to win Formula mm. E titles. And that, again, that brings it closer to what Formula One is, which is you, you have a mandatory pit stop. You have to make mm-hmm. stops. You have to change tires. And then also, like, you know, I'm sure, like, if Formula E teams are, are making pit stops, they're going to want to change tires, right? So they're going to, unless they work mm-hmm. it into the rules that you have to complete the race on one set of tires, then I imagine... If it's not in the rules, teams are going to be putting a fresh set of boots on it yeah. every time they come into the pit. Yeah, exactly. Because that's just logic, isn't it? So think... it's an interesting time for Formula E, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, it just depends which bits of those rules they decide to open up, doesn't it? Like, there's there's so yeah. many facets to it. And obviously, you can't just open up the rule book completely because that's going to be chaos. But yeah, <laughs> it would be nice. Interesting though. time. It would be fun. Very, very, very interesting. And with the Formula One um, rule changes coming up for engines in a few years' time, mm-hmm. you know, w- where's that going to go? No one quite knows where that's going to go. So I have one question for, but related to this. Then I've, I have one question for both of you. If you're a manufacturer, say you're a, you, say you're a Chinese vehicle manufacturer, and you're looking at going into motorsport at the moment, what do you go for? Do you go for Formula E? Or do you go for Formula One? You've got a limit. on who your target demographic is, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I like mean... if your if your target demographic is um, the sort of energy efficiency city driver, you're gonna go Formula E because yeah. that's where that type of customer is, like the an electric vehicle with like energy recovery and charging points like that's that's your type of customer if you're not aiming for that kind of customer and you're looking broader then potentially formula one now there's a budget cap i think that that's where that that makes both appealing to certain manufacturers in the sense that there was a time where maybe formula e was too knew of a technology that they weren't interested enough because the demographic wasn't there to then have the sort of knock-on sale interest yeah and formula e, uh, sorry formula one was too expensive yeah. and mm. they've both they've both kind of come back to a sort of a They're middle point now where yeah, formula the e is far narrow, more relevant it? yeah yeah the formula mm. e is now far more relevant to the average consumer like sort of plug-in hybrids hybrids in general um fully electric vehicles you see far more of them on the road now it, from a commuter yeah. perspective yeah, like they 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 they're sort of a to say they weren't a valid option before is a bit it depends on obviously which ones you went for but like people genuinely consider them alongside another vehicle now because of the changes that will be coming in so at least in well, the UK 
Yeah, we'll put it um, this way, Tom. Like, I, I don't own a car. We all know I don't. I sold my beloved GT86, <laughs> got rid of it. <laughs> and um, I no longer own a car. So the, the way I'm getting around, if I do need a car, say, you know, say you've got to go down to the tip or whatever, you've got to, you just, you've got to use a car for something. You've got to go to the DIY store to pick up a load of big things or whatever. Um, I usually rent cars using a, um, a sort of on-demand car rental service so it's literally like these cars are it's kind of like it's a car we all know what a car club is right so it's one of those and these there's there's two ways of doing it with this car club you can you can pick up a car and you can rent it for a specific amount of time and you can book that in advance and that's your hour or so that you've booked with that car or you can just on demand like if you live within a particular zone and I happen to live within one of those zones, you can say, I want a car. Where's the nearest one that I can have right now or within 15 minutes for me to walk to it and pick it up. And then you, you select it, you go and get it and you drive a car. And most of those cars are electric and it makes so much more sense for those cars to be electric because there's loads of charge points around as well. So they're really easy for the, for the company to charge back up when they need it. I don't need to go and fill it up with fuel. I can just get in it, drive it to wherever I'm going and have it for the 10, 15 minutes that I need it to go and run my errands and then leave it alone. It cost me like eight quid. Um, and it's amazing. Like I I prefer that so much to owning a petrol car because I don't have to worry about the car ever i just have to worry about not damaging it when i'm driving it and it performs outperforms most of the cars on the road usually so you, yeah. you jump in any electric car you put your foot down and it's going to send even if it's like not well any modern electric car obviously you jump in a g whiz it's not going to do much but the <laughs> e-golf that i've been driving are absolutely oh, that, that, that rocket classic ships. the g whiz <laughs> and so they're like, like eight it, inch wheels <laughs> So yeah. that raises the question, like, what is more relevant to, especially given laws and things like that, like, is car mm-hmm. ownership even going to be a thing in the next sort of 10, 15 years? Are people going to stop buying cars, especially people who live in cities? Um, I know, Chris, you don't own your car, do you? Your car is no. an electric car that you use, and, and it's kind of like, it's a sort of similar system. It's, non, it's a kind of a subscription, on-demand. essentially. It's a sub- yeah, it's a car subscription. You're subscribing to yeah. owning a car. Not, but you're subscribing to having mm-hmm. a car. Yeah. Um, the difference is for you that you don't have to book it in advance. It's just there, parked outside your house. On yeah, exactly. Doorstep. Obviously, you pay a bit more for that privilege, but, but you yeah. use your car. But then I could also the road, just so. give it back with a month's notice at any point as well, or like swap it for a smaller yeah. one. Yeah. Stuff, so yeah. Yeah. So yours definitely... is the more kind of like refined version of what I'm doing, whereas my mine is just I need a car right now. Bang, there's one. Yeah. I'll have it for an but hour or for that less sort of hour. thing is absolutely the way the car industry is going. Um, I think in like cities, men- for sure. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned budget caps. Like, budget cap in F1 is what? Is it like 145 million? 150? Somewhere, um, yeah, somewhere 145, around. 150 million. Yeah, yeah. Formula E are talking about bringing a budget cap in the next few years, and they're talking about like 13, 14, 15 million. And like, yes, wow. F1 gets a lot more exposure, yeah. but like, are you going to get, 10 or 15 times more exposure than you would in Formula E. So yeah. I get I guess the difference there for the budget caps though is how much of it is spec. Like it's a yeah. lot easier to have a low budget cap like that when the majority of your series is a spec series where the parts are just dished out. 
Um, That's true. Well, they're not dished so, out, they're bought and not researched. And well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. A lot of R&D. But, but, <laughs> yeah, you, but you, you, your entry fee essentially is covering like spec parts as well. So mm. it's, yeah, it's, it's a different scenario, I think. So it's, yeah. it's a bit it's a bit awkward to compare the two directly. Mm. But like you say, well, think, it, I, it, it, it depends, it, depends on the demographic of the manufacturer, doesn't it? Like you say, true. Are, are, are a company like Mercedes, just, just to sort of take the two budgets, like talking at like a 20, say just for ease of math, like a 20 million budget and 130 million budget, a company like Mercedes is probably going to make 110 million in in other revenue off the back of being in Formula One over... More, way more than that. Fo- ex- way, exactly, way that's what I mean. Like but, Times that by 10 or 15, then, yeah, then you're but, getting close. Uh, a, a smaller, like, non-European manufacturer that doesn't have a customer base established in Europe already probably isn't going to see that benefit. So it's all, like, contextual, like... You know, your VWs, your Mercedeses, your Renaults, all those kind of brands have plenty to make on that that 110 million difference that they'd be spending to be in Formula One, whereas a company like Venturi don't. Venturi aren't going to make up that difference should they enter Formula One. I think you're right, but I think another thing to remember is the budget cap isn't necessarily what you have to spend to be in Formula One. That's the cap. True. And a lot of the teams yeah, are not true. really not spending yeah, quite that. Yeah, a lot, a lot, some of the teams. A Mercedes, a Ferrari, as as so on. Are, million. But yeah, your big yeah, team, yeah. your big manufacturers. Yeah, your big, and I guess your big, the question your big was. Are. Yeah, so say you're Geely and you're looking to sell more cars in Europe, in the United States, in Japan. Um, I think you probably would go for Formula E over. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, if you look 100%. at Formula E, like you've got teams like is it Neo? They're they're a Chinese. I was, yeah, I was actually going to mention Neo. Yeah, like they are they are selling road cars in Europe now. And yeah. the first time I saw one, I was like, oh yeah, Neo, I know them because they've been in Formula E for many yeah, years. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd never have heard of them. So yeah, I mean, there you like, go. So I think for me, like. I think the sensible, depending on, obviously it does depend on things like demographic and and really above that, it depends on the overall aims of the company at at large. You know, what is their purpose? Are they trying to sell? So the, the, the simplified question is what sells more cars if you're a manufacturer in, in your, in your new target market in the USA, in Europe, is that having a Formula One team or is it having a Formula E team? I think this is why and, and given the future, sorry, just one more thing. Given given yeah. the future of where cars are heading, if you're a car, if you are that big car manufacturer in from China or from wherever, everyone's going electric. So surely, for me, surely the sensible thing is to go Formula E right now. The sensible thing is to go Formula E. Yeah, and forget you know forget racing against Porsche, Mercedes, McLaren, all that. That's kind of premium. That's you know, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna enhance your brand by being seen in the same world as those. And from a marketing perspective, that's not a bad thing. But you're not necessarily gonna showcase your technology in the way that that is gonna sell your product quite as effectively as what you would do, I think, mm-hmm. if you were in Formula E. So then yeah. that raises the question of is Formula One at this point even right now in its current state, is it relevant to the the rest of the world or is it 
should and should we even be looking at it that way? Should, this has gotten into a really really big question. I do apologize, but <laughs> should we even look at Formula One? Like, should Formula One be viewed as a way of companies selling products, or should it be viewed as the the pinnacle of motorsport and it's just racing and it's its own thing? It's a sport rather than a tool for car companies to sell cars. Mm. I think it'll always be both, though, won't it? I think you'd be hard to a pushed varying to, degrees. I think so. Yeah. 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 I think you'd always be hard pushed for them, them to not be having a, an impact on car sales, especially for teams that are doing well. Um, but like, I, what I was going to say before is, I think this is why Jaguar are persisting with Formula E and Mercedes aren't on the basis that Mercedes have, I, I couldn't tell you how many, but tons of EQCs already on the road in the UK. And you yeah. see far more EQCs than you do Jaguar E-Pace or I-Pace. And for me, like Mercedes are already selling strongly in that sector with the EQ range that they have compared to Jaguar. And I think if you asked General Punter, who <laughs> sort of knows car brands but doesn't necessarily know the technologies involved, they'd know Mercedes have got electric cars but wouldn't necessarily know what the Jaguar offering is. And being as relevant as they are in Formula E and having that support series that they had and so on and so forth, that's them promoting the fact that we do do electric. Because yeah. it's not like I, I know that they do electric, but I would say that the vast majority of people that know that Jaguar do electric are either heavily invested looking for electric vehicles specifically or watch Formula E. Whereas mm, the people that know Mercedes do electric and that uh, Volkswagen do electric, for example, those two brands, people just know do electric because you see more of them because they've already got that quite large market share. And I think another factor as well is that, like, I'm not going to make up numbers, but like anecdotally, I think uh, a decent percentage of people who are out there buying electric cars aren't car people, they're technology yeah. people. They're the people yeah, who are like, my mouth, yeah. want to go and buy, yeah, yeah. you know, your average Mercedes buyer isn't one of those people. You know, your average Mercedes buyer is probably someone who wants to buy a Mercedes, like, oh, that's the latest one, I'll have that one. Whereas yeah. other less sort of, you know, top-end companies, and, you know, it's fair Jaguar are top-end company, but people, Jaguar sell cars in far smaller volume than Mercedes. So they yeah. need to, like, advertise the fact that, look, we're here doing this as well, way more. And yeah. Formula E has a much younger audience than Formula One does. And they're the people probably slightly more likely to be buying those kind of cars. So, which is probably why you don't see as many Jaguars as you Mercedes, because <laughs> young people want them but can't afford them. <laughs> yeah. Well, at but that, but that Mercedes, and that like Jaguars, ja Jaguars not. I was going more at the angle that like Jaguars not really like a a young person's brand. Like no. if if the price brackets were the same and I was being offered like in uh, an E Pace and an EQC, I'd take an EQC. That like as a as a younger person for me, I prefer the Mercedes brand. I prefer the image that Mercedes brand sort of projects well, compared a, to Jaguar. As a Formula One fan, as a huge Formula One fan, of course you do. You mean, <laughs> I don't think it's a Formula One thing. Like I've sort of, I mean, it's a personal preference thing, but like yeah, yeah. that brand I'm, for me has been one that stood out. No, no, but I'm just trying to like take that out of context of it. Like yeah. the Mercedes brand has always been. <laughs> Sort of along the same lines of like Audis and BMWs, like there's a 
the same persona that like it's um more that like middle-aged businessman like that that point in life where we are essentially like 30s to 40s <laughs> those three brands are like the the brands that people go for we're Whereas, german businessmen that's what we are we're all yeah, german exactly. businessmen on the autobahn middle-aged german businessmen <laughs> but then <laughs> right. like jaguar is like a pensioner's car <laughs> like, there's, there's a reason jaguars will always fit a bag of golf clubs in the boot exactly yeah. <laughs> You have to be retired to own a Jaguar. I think we should move on and we talk about actual... We probably we've got, should, we've yeah. really, like, strayed. Because they're even saying in the chat now that we're going to have to be careful how we cut it. So <laughs> we're probably going to be cutting a chunk of that out. Maybe not. Hopefully not. Um, I ain't cutting any of that out. <laughs> more news. Formula One. Um, so the reason I started this with Formula E is Nick DeVries, who is going to be driving for Williams in FP1 this weekend. Uh, he's going to be taking Albon's car. Um, it's going to be his first appearance in an official F1 weekend session, although he has tested for Mercedes in the past. It's uh, So this is going to be the first young driver we've had this season because we have the new rule now that every team has to run a young driver in at least two free practice sessions. I guess the sort of most interesting point of it all is that Williams are choosing to run De Vries, who is a Mercedes young driver and not one of their own young drivers because they have mm. um what is it they've got Logan Sargent they've got Jamie Chadwick they've got Roy Nassani he's run for the most recently um so yeah it's a time when Latifi has uh been under some criticism interesting to see De Vries suddenly popping up it is interesting but I think this points more towards what Mercedes are doing with their future being as De Vries is a a Mercedes young driver right so are they are Mercedes just starting to sort of think about what Hamilton's going to do with his career and whether or not he's going to be around for much longer and they need to be belt and braces and make sure they've got someone lined up young ready to jump in that seat when it becomes available I'm because obviously sh- Russell's doing amazingly so yeah I mean, I'm sure Mercedes that. won't mind him getting some seat time um, in theory Ocon is next in the queue for a Mercedes seat in theory is that happening is that happening do you see that I just don't see Ocon in a Mercedes I don't know why but I, I, he just doesn't strike me as a Mercedes driver like I think there's plenty of other people that you'd put in that seat before Ocon I mean, they they gave him to Alpine, but chose to keep him, you know, mm. keep some connection to him. So they clearly think he's worth holding on to. At least with connection, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, obviously so De Vries you, you, was you like... You speak about Latifi. You speak about Latifi. So Latifi... Yes, yeah, so we know De Vries was like on Williams and Alfa Romeo's shortlist last season and obviously didn't get a seat. Um, he, he's, I mean... Obviously, you know, most of the time with these FP1 sessions, they'll alternate who um, whose car they take. But the fact that it, as much as they'll play it down, there is going to be a direct comparison between Latifi and De Vries yeah, this course. weekend. 100%. Yeah. Um, well, you'd it won't be the first time it's happened to Latifi either. Like, no. People have gotten out of the Williams before and the direct comparison has been made of... How is somebody that's not driven the car before that much more on pace than him? Mm, and there's no and way literal comparisons been made in the past. Yeah, I, there's like there's a lot of talk about them turfing him out mid-season. In fact, uh, 
a journalist last week announced that he had heard that Latifi was getting the push. And then the next day it was like, oh, actually, I was wrong on that. Sorry, everyone. Mm. Um, yeah, that was pretty bad journaling, that one. I think. I, I think it's a bit weird that there, if Latifi is the... I guess that in ways it makes sense, in other ways it doesn't make sense. So you've got a driver there who's exceeding expectations in Alexander Albon at Williams. Like he's doing an amazing job in that car so mm-hmm. far this season. He's he's really outdriven it and he's brought it home in some really, really solid positions during the races. Um and he's been getting the results. And obviously, in order to get those results, you need lots of practice in the car. You need the time to set the car up, you need seat time and um you know, you need to be comfortable in there to to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just think, why give up? Though? You're almost giving up points by taking that driver out of the equipment, taking out an hour out of an already really, really short sort of window for the for the driver driving the car who's getting you the most points. Surely you keep him in the car and the underperforming driver loses the seat time because you're not going to lose any points anyway. Well, what... Yes, however, I don't think it's an accident that they're doing this at the circuit that F1 teams know better than any other circuit by a long stretch, which actually begs the question, why aren't other teams using this weekend to get one of their young Hmm. driver runs out of the way? I mean, I know it's early in the week and we might get some more announcements, probably by the time you listen to this, actually, because that's normally the way it goes. But in many ways, it seems like the obvious place to do it because like, all the teams and drivers already know Cirque de Catalonia inside and out. Yeah, yeah, I think that um, depends on the team. I think that massively depends on the team. I think if you're Mercedes, you want both your drivers in that car mm-hmm. getting to the root of, of what's going on because this is your first time you've got an actual you know, direct comparison to see if the ch- mm-hmm. see what changes you have made have made a difference yeah. and, and how they work. You need that sort of benchmark and th- you know they've got the benchmark from testing they need to make use of that. And putting a young driver in the seat at a time like this at Mercedes is just a terrible idea because it's a difficult car to drive. The chances of binning it are huge and they need to get to the bottom of why why they're suffering so badly. So if you're Mercedes, I think it's a really bad time to put a young driver in. But if you are Williams, if you're uh, maybe not Ferrari and Rebel because they're in the middle of the title fight and again, you've got that benchmark... um, I think if you're Aston Martin, if you're McLaren, if you're Williams, you know, uh, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri, those kinds of teams, yeah, like it's it probably is a good time to get it out of the way. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a difficult one because it is still early in the season and you don't want to sort of lose some, lose development time, which is what I think yeah, a lot I think- of teams see the Spanish Grand Prix as. Yeah, the significant thing is the teams that bring in the front running teams bring in the upgrades that they are to yeah. spare. And yeah. like you say, but there's I, I think that being considered, there's no surprise that it's the Mercedes young driver that's ended up in one of the lower teams' seats for this weekend. Because if if there ever was gonna be a driver that is gonna like drop in mid-season from somewhere else, it's probably going to be somebody like De Vries because yeah. the Formula E season ends in, what is it, like two and a bit months? It's all Last race is Seoul in August. 
Yeah. So like we've got we've got like UK in July, Seoul in August, and then season's done. So he's done by the time the summer break comes around. Mercedes, like Stu referred to earlier, uh, sort of thinking, well, who's who's sits in this car should Lewis decide he's he's had enough after this season after a bit of a headache of a year like thinking is it is it worth it like what am I going to do if, if he makes that decision that in that direction then he's going to fill that seat yeah. could he potentially end up in that Williams through an agreement with Mercedes after the Formula E season's done coming back from the summer break like that's the most logical scenario if that's going to happen i think yeah. personally it, yeah. like that's like the, the perfect storm of things like mercedes potentially want to get a young driver running williams potentially want to get better results out of the car because of seen what it can do in the hands of albert and nick de Vries is out of a seat in formula e and the season will have just finished so like that is that yeah. perfect and he's a mercedes young driver which therefore gives you that perfect storm of if it's going to happen i think that's how it would happen it definitely. So I'm, not, feels I'm not surprised like, it's him. It feels like a pathway for the beginning of a pathway for Nick DeVries into Formula One, doesn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. This Which, doesn't seem like a lot of the young driver tests feel like, oh, we'll just give him a whirl. Whereas this kind of, yeah, like all the pieces seem to point towards him becoming a fully fledged Formula One driver next season. Yeah, which is a shame because he should have, in theory, had that opportunity sooner after what he did yeah. in Formula Two. In my I definitely opinion. think he deserves like, a shot. Yeah, it was, like he was really, outstanding really, really in good in Formula 2. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Excellent. It was as good as so, you know, Russell or Norris or anyone. So he definitely deserves yeah. it, 100%. Um, any more on, on this story, Chris? Um, that's about it, really. Um, I mean, De Vries is also Toyota World Endurance Championship driver, and there was talk of him getting a full race seat next year, but obviously... If F1 comes along, he's gonna <laughs> sack yeah, that off like anyone else would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so far no other young drivers. Um, Oscar Piastri was driving in a last year's Alpine last weekend, as was Jack Doohan. So maybe we'll get one of them in the Alpine this weekend. Which would be good to see. But yeah, that's all we know currently. Cool. Right. I think it's time for some storylines, guys. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we're ready for them. So the first storyline this week, um, we're talking about upgrades. Um, who's bringing what new parts to the party and how will it change the running order? And we've got several teams believed to bring in new floors, including Ferrari, Mercedes, Aston Martin, Red Bull. Um, Aston Martin are doing a lot of weight saving and um, they expect a lot of new front. We expect a lot of new front and rear wing designs among all the teams. So it's going to, it is going to be a really, really interesting. I think floors are going to be a massive thing. Um, weight saving is a yeah. huge, huge thing at the moment in Formula One. So yeah. there's a really, really sort of big chance, I think, that this weekend, especially this early in a development cycle, that the the order could well be quite drastically shaken up, I think, for this race. Yeah. I think that's no seen... sort of... Go on. I was just seeing some interesting rumours that Red Bull have done some extreme weight saving as well. Yeah. Um, well, they've already been at it. Like you... multiple digits of kilos off the car. They've already knocked a lot off. Into Imola, they knocked a load of weight off the car yeah. as well, which is yeah. why they were. So... That's why. That's why they're so quick on the straights because you mm-hmm. you you know losing weight is the best way of making any car faster. Whether you've got a Ford Fiesta 
or whether you're a Formula One car, the first thing you do to any car, if you're turning it into a race car, is you take every possible bit of weight out of it because that gains you time all around the circuit. And if it helps you with tire wear, it helps you across the board with any race car. So priority number one for all the teams, I think, is lose weight fast. You know, they're all going to Weight Watchers. Um, the neck and the second priority is aero is floor is understanding this new aerodynamic package. They've had five races now to five races, four races, five races. Um, yes. To understand their packages. And yeah, this is the big one where they're going to take all that research and it's time to apply it. It's time to, you know, bring the new updates and, and see where we're all at. So for me, that's the most exciting part about the Spanish Grand Prix every year is seeing how, you know, that, that development step takes shape. And I think this year more than any, it's going to make the Spanish Grand Prix really, really interesting. I think um, Aston Martin are probably most likely to be the most visually different car. Um, I've seen it referred to as practically a B-spec car. They're having like, a whole new floor. Um, there's rumours that they're going to have completely new uh, side pod um, designs because obviously their side pods are unique and base of performance doesn't seem like they're unique yeah. in a good way. But they've been that's that it's a very heavy car and it's a car they're not able to run particularly low to the ground. So that's like the two big things they're trying to um, trying to remedy. And I think there's some some changes to the rear suspension as well they're talking about so yeah a lot riding on this race for Aston Martin for sure I'm expecting to see a lot of um, floor skates I'm calling them so the Red Bull has like an think of like the blade of an ice skate which is yes. technically you'd They've found a way around the regulations that's allowing them to do this. So the Red Bull doesn't really suffer at all with porpoising. And they've got a device on that car, which is effectively a... I'm holding my hand like straight up as though this is a video medium and it's not. Mm. But um, <laughs> it's like a, a vertical... Like a, like a the bottom piece of an ice skate attached to the bottom of the floor. And that is essentially the thing that touches the floor first as the floor flexes. And it stops the actual horizontal flat surface of the floor from touching it and therefore it stops the the floor sealing off the airflow and means that they get a much more consistent um form of downforce i've seen them called skids as well but i think i prefer ice skates skates yeah it's i i call it like a a, an ice skate blade or a a skate whatever like that's essentially what it is and it's made out of metal it's not made out of carbon because you've made it out of carbon it just wear away and you'd lose yeah, weight sh- and it caused all kinds shatter, of problems. And it wouldn't last it. very long. Yeah, it just grind down to nothing. Um, so that's, um, I think that's a, an avenue that certainly Mercedes will be looking at. I don't think the porpoising is just because of the floor ceiling in the Mercedes. I think there's other factors at play, but definitely because the suspension involvement and stuff with that as well. But yeah. yeah, Mercedes are the only team with that. And that you, you are starting to see signs of other teams copying it. So I think they'll be, you're going to see a lot of skates and there might even be protests at, um, at the Spanish Grand Prix as a result. Um, it's almost like going than, back to testing and just seeing new cars again, isn't it? Like, Yeah. It's, 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 it's going to be, really really it, be that big. It usually Sorry? is when we end up in... It usually is when we end up in Catalonia. Like when yeah. we come back, 
Yeah, I think this early in a development cycle it is for sure. I think like last yeah. year it wasn't that different. Like the cars were just no. When yeah, when you're near the end of a formula or a regulation set, definitely less so. But for the most part, like teams are taking data that they've had from the first four, five, six races, however many it's been to this point in a normal season, and comparing what they had at the start of the season to what they've got now with the updates, and then obviously they've used the data from every race in between to kind of build those updates so like the whole weekend is generally a glorified testing session isn't it like it's a testing yeah. session with points or <laughs> yeah a shortened test session because a lot less hours yeah. on track true um, only what six hours ish assuming yeah. we get a, a hour and a half two hours. we're not going to get a two hour race at catalonia so it'd be about an hour and 35 40 minutes roughly yeah Just about um, five hours total yeah crazy crazy time and that you know it's a, such a short window to understand your car isn't it you can see yeah, why nothing, yeah. teams are struggling this early in the season so yeah, yeah. um next storyline um can ferrari do anything about their top speed deficits red bull at the circuit with one of the longest runs to turn one on the calendar this is a big concern for ferrari at the moment yeah they so we know they were testing a new rear wing um at a filming day um, oh, they had a mysterious filming day, didn't they, today? Yeah. Uh, yesterday, was it? One, uh, yeah, Miguelo? one of these. Uh, no, uh, um, uh, Imola, I think they were at. It, Imola, no, think, it was, yeah. uh, no, it was Monza, wasn't it? Marinello. Mar- who knows? Italy. Somewhere it, in at an Italian Marinello. circuit. <laughs> We've literally yeah. named them all. It's um, Marinello. Yeah, they were running a new rear wing, although that seems to be more of a higher downforce wing, so that was maybe not necessarily trying to remedy that problem um, well i think the fact that it was super secret and they like closed the place off so no one could yeah. get like the whole deal like they were properly like sealed the place off they were testing all kinds of gubbins on that thing there's no doubt about that it never works though because i've seen pictures of it so <laughs> yeah. yeah doesn't matter how much they close down a circuit someone always gets a camera well it, you know it could be it doesn't necessarily mean aero parts though it could be weight saving well no that they were testing you know tolerances um, all that kind, all that kind of stuff it definitely seems to be the difference between those two cars right now. Um, I mean, it, it was mm-hmm. the, the the straight line speed was what decided the last race, without a doubt. So it's that's definitely the something that's going to, yeah, and it's definitely going to come into play at um, Catalonia because that straight is huge. Yeah, yeah, and the cars can follow each other. I think this is what's hurting Ferrari more than maybe it might have last season is the fact that. When yes, it's one thing to catch a car up and to sort of you know be faster than it, but getting by it is usually well keeping staying close to it in previous years and then getting by has been the biggest challenge about being faster than the car ahead of you. And now that staying closer aspect of it has clearly been been made better, made easier for the drivers. Then well. This is the third storyline. It is. I, I was about to. Yes, I was about to go into that. So I was. I was steadily segueing my way into it. But thank you, Chris, for pointing that out. Um, how will the new cars perform at what is the biggest test of the new rules so far? So we all know that Barcelona is like. Yes, it's got a really, really, really long straight, but that final corner leading into it has traditionally been difficult to follow a car through because it's high speed corner, relatively high speed corner, and. These cars are much better 
at following each other through those kind of corners. So mm. we should see lots of moves, I think, down at least down into turn one, if not down just, just sailing past down the straight, I think. What do you reckon? I certainly hope so. Like the whole last sector, everything after the hairpin at that circuit seems designed to not let cars be close together for the main straight. Yeah. So yeah. if it if it works here, then I think we can put a big old tick next to the new rules. Yeah. It's a shame they don't I don't understand why for Formula One they've never updated it. So they just go around the big corner. Instead of doing the chicane, just go do a big, big right hander like ninety degrees over a really long radius. It's to it's to do with the space. Easy. They they haven't got the space for the runoff and they're not they can't move what's there for oh, the backwards yeah. because they don't own the land. Somebody yeah. else owns the yeah, land. Oh yeah, that's that. true. Yeah, we've so, had this conversation, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. So the the stand that's there literally there's like a small walkway that pretty much goes underneath the stand and then there's a wall like a fence yeah. for the edge of the the circuit boundaries and as far as i'm aware the that fence is like as far back as they can go and the stand is already like pretty much on top of the fence a million predictions beyond points. it a million predictions points to anyone in the audience who can go back and find the episode where we spoke about this because we've definitely <laughs> spoke about this before for sure 100 yeah. percent, we have um, I think just throw lo- put loads of um, uh, tech pro barriers up. Just just all the tech pro, yeah. right? That solves all the problems. <laughs> tech pro, or just re- redesignate it a street track, and then you don't have to worry about safety barriers anymore. Yeah, you don't have to worry as about we all yeah, know yeah, very well. You can go tech. as fast as you like. Yeah, yeah. It's a street circuit. Just build. Yeah, do what you want. It's a street circuit. It's fine. Just like build one house on the outside of turn three. Like, oh yeah, it's a street now. Street circuit. I mean. <laughs> According to Miami, you don't even need a street to make no. it a street circuit. You just need a car park. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, here's an idea. You're Formula One or you're the circuit de Catalunya. Buy the land off whoever's. Yeah, buy the it. land. <laughs> of crazy farmland that sell refuses it. to let it go. Yeah, yeah. It's, gonna, it's one of those like protest. Um, what do they call them? Like spike houses it's, or whatever it is? Yeah, it's like <laughs> the guy that lives in the middle of the... Well, what road is it here? I can't remember. But there's a, there's a guy that lives in a farmhouse in the middle of one of the motorways oh, it's the M62. in the UK. It's the M62. Yeah, it's driven past it, like, over the Pennines. Hundreds yeah. of times. Yeah, yeah. It's and, and the road has to really like widen around yeah. that piece of land as well. So it's like quite... It's a few acres. And yeah, yeah the, but it looks... Like a really depressing place to live. <laughs> There's even a tunnel yeah. un- under the motorway that leads to like, that house in and out. Yeah. To get out. Yeah, it's like a farmer. Um, yeah, poor guy. I'd hate to live between two lanes of motorway. That'd be miserable. But anyway, um, that's kind of it. Has anyone else got any like ideas for prediction for um, storylines for this week? Anything else come to mind? No, I mean the the, 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 the upgrades the is hundred percent the biggest thing. I think yeah. the the upgrades that we've already talked about. Um, so yeah, I think they're they're going to be the most significant thing. Is whether teams that have struggled so far can finally get on top of it with big updates like your Mercedes. And it's weird saying a team that's had podiums is struggling, but <laughs> compared to where they want to be and where you'd expect them to be, they are realistically yeah. struggling so any other ones probably aston martin as well they need to make a significant jump so so with all that in mind how of everything we've just discussed 
which team do you guys think is the most likely to make the biggest improvement um, this weekend? Mercedes just based purely on their resource and what they ha- the gap that they have to close between them yeah. and like Red Bull and Ferrari. Because A, the... most capable, and B, most at stake, I think. Because the interesting thing mm. with Mercedes is at pre-season testing, they were running normal side pods in Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. So, you know... They lost they... a lot of time running those, didn't they, realistically? Yeah, so obviously there's a lot of other factors, but there is going to be some level of comparison there. Um, which maybe will help them. But yeah, if, if it's going to be anyone that takes a big step forward, it's going to be Mercedes. I would hope to say Aston Martin a close second because I want them to improve, but there's that, that, there's a lot riding on their upgrades because it sounds like yeah. they're throwing most of their upgrade budget this weekend. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's and a huge you've definitely just put your... Um... You've definitely just put your Sebastian Vettel hat on for that. <laughs> it's not nearby, unfortunately. <laughs> He's literally looking for, it. <laughs> so, <laughs> looking for it. So he can. Okay, it's time to make some predictions, guys. Oof. Yeah, let's let's go through these. So if you want to get involved with this at home, head to backofthegrid.com where you can register if you've not yet this season. Um, and obviously, if you've been joining in, sign into your account and crack on. Um, we'll go through ours now to give you a guide of what not to do because we're always very wrong. Um, when we bother so, making yeah. the predictions. <laughs> uh, yeah, when yourself. we bother doing it, stew. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as punishment, you can go first on everything this week. Oh my goodness. That <laughs> no, sound? that's not, if anything, yeah. I should go last on everything because like, I've got zero points and you guys have both got points yeah, well, on the board. Fine, I'll go, I'll go first. I'll go first. <laughs> no, you, you, you go first on this one for definite. Uh, so <laughs> fastest in Q3 is the first category. Stew. Where are you putting your points there? I think Red Bull have already applied a lot of the updates that they were going to put on the car. I think there are obviously still improvements to come from the Red Bull. There's no doubt about that. But I think the way the budget system is working, I think they've got to be much, much more careful about the way they apply their, their updates now. So I don't necessarily think that everything they've put on the car so far is going to keep them where they are this weekend. I think people are going to make gains on them. So I'm going to say Leclerc for pole. I think you'd be mad yeah. not to, given performance all season. Chris, how about you? What are you thinking? As much as I desperately want to say Carlos signs at his home race. Oh, that would be great. It would be fantastic. Well, every time I've predicted success for him, he's had a disaster. So I'm not going to mention his name Don't at all in predictions and hope it's the opposite effect this time. So I it's think I'm late. going to... already mentioned his name. Go so with going to say too late well. already. <laughs> no, I'm not going to pick him for anything. I'm going to Leclerc as well. <laughs> okay. Tom, um, I, I think that the Ferrari upgrades will be significant, but only not to effective. keep them in touch <laughs> with Red Bull, not necessarily regain a lead. So I'm going with Verstappen. Oh, okay. Um, win, Chris. We'll go to you. Oh, for a win. mate, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm <laughs> right, to go right. If you really want to go, if you want to go, you want to do this, yeah, yeah. Don't you right, to give you give the first. people what they want. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if what if it's what the people want, but go for it. <laughs> um, I actually think Leclerc is going to win this one. I think he's going to qualify in first okay. place. 
place and he will win because I think there's some weight to be shed off that Mercedes. And I think if they've managed that and they've got a bit of an aero update to go with it, then that should put them in a pretty strong position for this race. Can I ask how saving weight on the Mercedes helps Leclerc? <laughs> oh my God, I just can't do it, can I? I can't do it. It's, I'm so used to Mercedes being... You're just such a Mercedes I mean, fan. Yeah, I mean Ferrari. <laughs> I can't mention okay. Formula One. Just, I'm just checking because it <laughs> might have been that Ferrari. you didn't mean Leclerc. You might have meant like Russell was no, going and you got yeah, the wrong driver. You know, I mean, we you know we're making these <laughs> predictions now. Mercedes could show up with an absolute weapon and imagine they, prove us they all just yeah. unlock it, unlock yeah. the potential. Yeah, could, that well, it sounds well. like that's sort of what they're aiming for, isn't it? Right, like turning the key and it just becoming a fast as, as as much as they play it down. There's no silver bullet. Blah blah blah. On the next breath, they're saying we just need to understand this car and how to unlock the performance. And mm. I mean, Miami the performance involves a key. So Miami proved it's there. <laughs> it's just Did under it? the right circumstances. Well, un- under the right circumstances, yes. Yeah, low under grip. the circumstance. <laughs> yeah, under the low grip circumstances, it was yeah. the fastest car. Low grip, slow track. It's the fastest car. Yeah, I unfortunately, mean, that, that Bar- would say the <laughs> Barcelona Let- might be the circuit in the world that has the most running. So I don't think yeah. it's yeah. going to be an issue there. No. They'll do okay at Donington if we go there. <laughs> <laughs> slow and low grip. <laughs> right, Chris, who are you saying for the win? I'm going to say Leclerc as well. Um, okay. I'm worried about Red Bull reliability still. Mm. Yeah, especially I mean, it's rearing. It's looking again. hot for this weekend yes. potentially. Um, I'm not that bothered, and I'm saying Verstappen. I don't. It doesn't <laughs> bother me. I, I, I think generally they get they they sort of getting on top of that into the point where it's becoming less and less as a less and less of a concern. Um. So yeah, I think he'll be able to use those weight saving advantages that they've that they've already made and have rumored to have made even further ones to take this for a win. Uh first DNF, Stu, you could go first. Is uh you wanna take that man on? I could be really cruel and say science at his home race, but I won't. I won't. Um although it is the sort of look he's had this season. Um I think I think it's a Red Bull. I think it's Verstappen, you know. I think the reliability bugs are going to catch him again. Mm. Well, I'm going similar to your sort of jokey response, and I'm saying Alonso mm. is home base. So that's that's where my mine is going. You're a, you're a cruel, cruel man, Tom. I always am. You know me. Like home races... Or f- uh, first to worst kind of scenarios. I'm yeah. all down for those. Happiness so. or Schudenfreude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chris, what about you? I was genuinely thinking for Staffan as well, but me and Stu have had exactly the same predictions so far, <laughs> and I can't keep that going. Um, I'll say the other one, then I'll say Paris. Interesting. Number of finishes. Stu, you go first. It's what the people um, want, apparently. So you can do I, it. <laughs> I don't think it'll be that many DNFs on this one. So I'm going to go for the magic 17. I think 17 is a sensible number. 17. Chris, how about yourself? I'm going to go for an ambitious 18. Oh, that's where I was going as well. So same for me, 18 on that one. 
You can tell it's early yeah. in the season because we've got lots of matching predictions going on. <laughs> yeah. And then Chris, can you generate a random driver for us? So Stu can go first on that. It is Kevin Magnussen. Ooh, that's an that's, ooh, an that's a really one. challenging. I think this race is probably that the is hardest just... to to get a yeah. random driver, especially like Magnussen, who's just sort of you know wild swings in performance for that team. Um, yeah. Would you like to know think... his results this season so far for a bit of context? Yeah, hit me. Kevin Magnussen, fifth, ninth, fourteenth, ninth, sixteenth. Ooh. Feast or famine. The 16th being a DNF. I think obviously the smart thing to do is to go 10th or 11th because he's, it just puts him right in the middle. I think that's where has mm. have been so far this season. Maybe a little bit, well, based on those results, a little bit further back than that, probably on average. Um, it's like average there is like 14th ish. But no, average is probably about 10th or 11th, actually. Yeah. Because he had that. Oh, he's, got, he's, got, he's got three three points finishes, a poor finish, and a DNF. Essentially, that's where you'd look at it. I'll go tenth then. Okay. I mean, I was thinking similar. I was thinking he's going to be around about those points positions that he's already been in. So I was going to say ninth. Um, uh, I'll have eighth, Chris. Then. I've noticed, Tom, that your predictions are all different from mine. I mean, that's how you roll. <laughs> Tom's I've made mistakes. I mean, this season. it's it. I'm competitive every season. What have I well, never yeah, been competitive true. about predictions? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like there's certain things where I've not gone against my gut in previous weeks, and last week, well, last race, I went a bit more with my gut and got something like three points. So I'm just going to listen to it more now. Which is what I've done there. It's a strong up. It's a strong up. Um, how can oh, they tell the people how they can enter? <laughs> yeah, reminder, as said before, head to backofthegrid.com. Register if you haven't before. Sign in if you already have. Um, predictions will be open as you are listening to this, so you can drop yours in. But they're open right up until the start of qualifying, so you could take the advantage of watching free practice sessions and getting a feel for who's on what pace before making predictions. So take that advantage wherever you can. Um, you can also join our fantasy leagues on there. So we have our Grid Rival League and our official F1 Fantasy League. Just head to the fantasy page on the website and there's a link to both of those as well. That is that. Um, and with that, I guess it's time to take a little visit to the inbox. Is <laughs> Keep it saying now. Stay, stay out. Shall I go first? Yeah, you got the first yeah. one, Chris. Uh, first, uh, from Wes, not on upcoming race-related, but as cool as it is to see vintage cars on the track, is it worth it to take them out for demo laps? Nicky Lauda's car has been wrecked at Monaco twice now. I know they were built to be driven, but it just seems like such a huge risk for a piece of history. And then Sarah added, mm. huge risk for drivers as well. So a similar question, why take the risk of your driver getting hurt in a vintage motor race uh, when you as Ferrari are in the fight for the championship? <laughs> Because you're Ferrari. Um, so, context for any of you who haven't seen this, but I'm sure that's not many of you. Um, it was the historic Monaco over the weekend, and Charles Leclerc was driving Nicky Lauda's 1973 Ferrari around, um, and the brakes failed, and he went 
rear on into the uh, tire walls on the way into Raskas. And mm. it was sad to see a historic car like that going crunch, for sure. Yeah, it yeah. Really And it continues Leclerc's shocking record at Monaco. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, could, could be advantageous to him, though. He's got his crash at Monaco out of the way early this year. Yeah, maybe. That's true. So, it's, clean weekend for him come Monaco. I must admit, it did make me really, really, really sad seeing that car, that happened to that car. Um, I think it is daft, sort of putting... The car is the car. The car, you know, the car's the car. It needs to be run. It needs to be driven. They're made to be driven, you know, piece of history or not. Like, it would be such a shame for that car to be sat in a garage not being driven and just, mm-hmm. just yeah. no one ever seeing it. Like, I, I prefer, even if it's going it, to... There's always a risk, especially at Monaco. There's always a risk in driving any car. Driving any race car at any venue, there's always a risk that it's going to get damaged. You know, that's just... It's inherent with things when you when you have your own track car. Like, there's the risk that it's going to get damaged, and you you accept that when you take your car on the track. But that's mm. you kind of touched on the point I was going to make. Like when we were at Silverstone a couple of years ago, uh, I think it was a Saturday evening. We watched the historic race there. Yeah. Mm. But like a modern Silverstone, you've got to you've got to have a pretty big off to hit anything particularly hard yeah. at Silverstone, particularly yeah. in cars that go those sort of speeds. Obviously, Max Verstappen would disagree with that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so it's one thing driving them at a place like Silverstone. It's, it's another driving them at Monaco where there's zero room for error. And like this is just a clear doing demo laps. This wasn't even them racing, but like yeah, they do on the historic yeah. weekend. They do actually have races around there. And but- yeah. By all accounts, it seems like it wasn't necessarily Leclerc's fault. It wasn't his driving. No. It does, and it looked, it did look like a car failure. It didn't look like he'd made a mistake. It, it, yeah, the, the rear way brakes that car swings around, like the rear brakes just lock up and just, yeah, just swung him around and went backwards into the wall. Like fine, but these are old cars. Like these things happen to to old cars, you know. Mm-hmm. So. I stand by what I say. I think it's much better. Even if it's an old car, it's priceless, blah, blah, blah. I would much, much rather see that car being driven on track and and yeah. seen by the world, even if it is Monaco, even if it is like a track that is is associated with high risk, very high risk and potential damage to, to, to cars. There's no track more associated with, da- with car damage than there is probably Monaco. <laughs> But, you know, I think it's worth it. I think I would rather see that car going around the track and taking a knock, uh, albeit a pretty heavy knock, than it just sat in a garage and never being seen, never seen yeah, the light totally. of the day. You know? But so th- on balance, I think it's okay. But I, th- yeah. I think, though, to Sarah's point, like, I was surprised the Chloe was out there doing it. Like... Yeah, I don't think it should have been Leclerc driving it. I agree if, with if, that. Yeah. If that happened and he'd gone in nose first and the wheel wrenches and like oh my God. Yeah, yeah. breaks his wrist or something, goodbye world championship. Like well, I'm amazed they let him do that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised it wasn't somebody like an Alacy or someone that was in it. A Marc Genet. <laughs> yeah. Like that's Luca what Badoa. Luca Badoa. I'll see you on in Luca there. Luca yeah. should have been driving it. <laughs> I think I think I'm with Stu though. Like I'd definitely rather see the cars run, um, and see them on track and people have opportunity to see them because, like, that was what was really special about the 
the classics race that we were privy to at Silverstone is yeah. like you're never gonna see, like the our generation and never had the opportunity of seeing those cars run. Yeah, um, and oh yeah, fair enough. God. They're not giving that... it like 100 percent full beans that they will have when they know. were driven by. But the well, I was about to say, but they're not far off. Like they're still pushing. Um, I think the, so to the, be able the thing to see with those that, cars is the, the people driving them aren't as fast as a current Formula One driver, are they? Yeah, like, just because they're, yeah, they're kind of, they tend to be older guys, and yeah, they might be. You know, some of them are proper, proper. I mean, they're all quick drivers. You don't get to drive yeah, those yeah. cars unless you're decent. Um, it's uh, yeah, seeing that gold, le- hearing that gold leaf lotus start up, and then yeah, Adrian Newey, yeah, Adrian Newey. Well. We was we stood yeah, out. Yeah. I remember we stood outside the garage and watched yeah, it yeah. start yeah. up. That thing, the grin on my face when we did that, I was tripping. I was absolutely buzzing. That's what those are about. And so that, like, I'm 100% with you that I'd rather see them running and, like, an unfortunate accident accident damage it or something. But I'm with Sarah on the whole. Don't really think the current championship leader should be the one racing it round. Little, yeah, very high risk. Bit too, maybe a little yeah. bit too high risk having Charles drive it around. Yeah, Sarah did also just point out in the chat that um, Alacy broke something at historic Monaco last year, and he it also was, crashed. It was that one, so, I think. It was, was it, it was one? that one. Yeah, yeah. I believe I mean, so. Oh, that's where well, the crash came able from. Able to repair them, so yeah. I mean, they're, they're, like the cars yeah. a problem to me. You know, we know we. We know a guy who works in the uh, well. I think he's on the main team now. But in Williams Historic, he was when we met him. He was working in Elliot. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Historic yeah. team, and they, you know, they service those cars. They if they get damaged, they fix them. They've got all the yeah. tools they need to fix these cars, so they will fix it and put it up, put it back. Oh, for They've sure. They've got all the designs that you know they will restore that car to think, and they need yeah. to be run because if you don't run, them, they die. You know, all the yeah. seals go and all the oil. Like, if you don't run a car for a long time, all the oil that is in the engine, in the pistons, and that's built up coating all those surfaces that are that are rubbing against each other, that slowly, slowly, over the course of just two weeks, that can just drain down to the bottom of the oil tank. And suddenly you've got raw metal on raw metal rubbing against each other. And that heats up very, very quick and damages the insides of engines faster than you believe. Yeah. So... It's really important that cars are, especially older cars, are run on a regular basis in order to keep everything lubricated and keep everything from damaging itself. And um, again, that's another reason why they should be running these so, old, classic, beautiful cars. So if you've got to run them anyway, why not chuck them around Monaco? What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, why not? What's the worst that can happen? Um, next one then. Um, Michelle asks, what happens to Danny Rick at the end of his current McLaren contract? I can't imagine they re-sign him currently. Mm. Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it, at the minute? Yeah. So he was... I saw an interview with him a few days ago and he was sort of saying he's got no plans to stop anytime soon, but at the same time, he can't see himself, you know, racing into his 40s like Alonso and Raikkonen did and that, you know, he knows he's in, like, the back half of his career. But... Yeah, do Mc- are McLaren going to keep him? Like, you, do you want to know something? I can see Danny Rick doing a Jensen button. I think he's going to be sort of yeah, one maybe. of those drivers, one of those nearly drivers for years and years and years. 
and he's going to be coming happening. towards potentially, yeah, you know, yeah. getting towards sort of the back end and suddenly just winning a championship out of nowhere and it being like yeah. the story of the century. And I'm I live for that. I'm all about that. When that oh, happens, yeah, I'll be that. a happy, happy man. It would it would be great. Uh, my my concern is that I feel like he's got a similar curse to the likes of Alonso since Alonso left Renault. Like yeah. Wherever Alonso went, yeah. there was so much potential that just never came around. Yeah. And it just like when he went to Ferrari, when he when he went to McLaren, obviously going back to Renault as Alpine. And I feel like Danny Ricks had a similar sort of thing since leaving Red Bull. Like Red Bull, who was always number two, Renault is then gone to and they've just not performed. McLaren is gone to and fair enough. I mean, he has had a race win out of it, but it's not been consistently up there. Um, and he's generally getting outdone by his younger teammates. Mm. So that's a bit of a tough one. That being said, though, like based on current results, if McLaren suddenly had the fastest car next season, like based on the last couple of years, you would expect Lando to be coming out on top. But yeah. I just get this feeling with Danny Rick that, like, I don't think he has. He he's not thriving in the kind of racing he's been doing the last few years. But I think if he suddenly found himself at the front, I can see him just like coming back to life. And yeah, the Danny Rick that was like winning races for Red Com- Bull would be there. And yeah, confidence thing, isn't it? Yeah, it totally is. Um, it pro- there probably is an element of confidence. It's probably motivation though as well. Like I think when you're in a yeah. car that that isn't necessarily achieving then I think that probably makes it difficult for a lot of them as well. What I don't understand yeah. about Danny Rick is how they convinced him to go to Renault in the first place. Like, what made him think that he was going to dollar have a bills. better career if he stayed? Well, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably he had a, a mega of... contract when he went there, didn't he? Yeah. That even, probably a big I part think, of it. <laughs> I think they, they talked a big game about their aims and they just never um, mm. never achieved them ultimately. Yeah. And there was obviously the you you will be number two driver to Max Verstappen when Max Verstappen yeah came. yeah exactly it was well, now it was Max his, Verstappen's there. it was his most immediate opportunity to go somewhere and be the number one for that team yeah there wasn't really another opportunity to do that at the time was there and it was so it was either do I sit and stay being number two to Max and or do I go somewhere that's like guarantee me a number one position that's a factory team like. There was a, there was a punt to be taken there, and he definitely took it. But and he was already on wasn't he valuable hindsight, like aren't we? Renault engines at that point as well, wasn't he? Was yeah, and it was so during the Renault whole engine to Renault Works team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was during the whole torrid time with Red Bull and Renault anyway, where mm. they were looking at going to Honda, and arguments were breaking out and stuff. And it was like, uh, well. Who knows what that Honda engine is going to be like after what? I think that was like there was a lot of things that definitely led him to that decision, like being number two to Max, Red Bull falling out with Renault and moving to Honda. The way the Honda had been in the McLaren up to that point, yeah. the fact that he could be a number one driver with a factory team, like there's so many things that you, it seems obvious as to why he made the decision at the time. And then when you look back at it in hindsight, it's like well. It was clearly the wrong See, Renault really <laughs> worth it. Like, yeah, yeah. he should have just stayed where he was. So, yeah. 
I would I would have um, loved to have seen like him and Verstappen in the same team going hammer and tong it. I think it would have been a yeah. Really, that would have been. I think he's done Red Bull a favor by leaving because they would have had a problem. I think he was yeah for sure. Oh, yeah. He's quick enough that being the incumbent in the team and understanding that team and sort of you know having what authority you did i think you could have had you could have ended up with another situation like they had with uh, vettel and weber yeah easily and, like and any, anyone and can see hamilton that, and mercedes yeah. it would have been similar to that yeah, as well. for yeah sure. it would have been that would have been a hectic sort of couple of seasons they wouldn't necessarily have been like at the front still because obviously mercedes were just absolutely dominant so in the end actually does it even make a difference like Unless he was in a Mercedes, he wasn't going to be winning world championships anyway. So that yeah, was probably yeah, another true. big factor. I was probably thinking, you know what? Mercedes are going to be doing something, doing all the doing all winning all the championships over the next few years. I'm not I'm gonna be number two if I stay here. I might as well mm. try something else, go somewhere Take a else and, and, yeah, and yeah. try a different team. Why not? And yeah. if, if there's that big dollar bill package coming with it, then yeah, that's why I've just answered my own question. <laughs> yeah. Should we do the next one? Yeah, Garrett says, uh, what's your opinion on bringing back engine modes for during the race over having DRS? Uh, I feel conserving fuel to then be able to use a higher engine mode takes a little more talent than just simply waiting to push the DRS button when available. Mm. I think conserving fuel without having a button push takes a lot more talent. Yeah, without having you mean conserving fuel without having the engine mode. Yeah, yeah. If you're low on fuel, if you've used a lot of fuel, if you've over because they they still even now they fuel the cars sort of the lightest possible. You still have to adapt your driving style to get to the yeah. You can't just go hell for leather. Certainly, probably certainly in recent years, that that sort of thing wouldn't be enough to generate overtaking. Like DRS exists because things yeah. like engine modes and conserving fuel and whatnot still was enough to generate overtakes. Whether with the new rules it would be, hard to say. Um, mm. I think there's there's territory here in, in the... Obviously, the, the, the engine mode thing was done to try and rein Mercedes in. And I think there's been, there were quite a few rule changes that came about to effectively to try and slow Mercedes down. Yeah. And... I think things like this, like this engine mode thing that we've got here, I think definitely like that does have a bit of an effect on the strategy and on the racing and potentially mm. the quality of the series at large. And I think there's definitely been some decisions made to slow down a particular team that were maybe done a little bit short-sightedly and taken away some of the tools from the other teams that they might have been able to use to achieve better results in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it was like it was aimed like quite specifically at the quality mode, wasn't it? Like party mode or whatever they were calling it. Yeah, that was like the thing. To... That was the thing that it was really aimed at. But obviously, it was something that's used throughout a weekend anyway, not just in quality. It was, but the 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 whole rule was that your engine mode is set for the weekend, like Park Fermi. Yeah, wasn't it? That was that was the whole changing rule. I guess another so, another aspect of it is like DRS is quite a visual crowd pleasing thing to look at. Like yeah. when you see that car go down the straight and you see it's really close to the car ahead of it and then that flap opens, 
your heart rate goes up ever so slightly, you're like, oh, it might be on. Every time you see that, I don't care who <laughs> yeah, you are. True. If, you, if, there's there's a, a visual. if there's cars following each other, there's a visual aspect of that that the audience can see and it gets the tension. It ramps up the tension and makes you think, oh, there's something's going to happen. Something could happen. Yeah. And then it happens 10 times down the straight Imola and nothing happens and there's a train of them and, and it gets more. <laughs> but That's... that aside, like compare that to just pushing a button on the dashboard and it not being a visual thing and you can't see something happening, then there's definitely, you know, there's a there's a logic to keeping DRS over something like yeah. push to pass. Or I, you I could integrate push that, to pass into DRS, but go on, sorry, sorry, Tony. No, I was just going to say the, the, the thing that used to work back and obviously see why they got rid of it was the the old old curse system yeah that they had where essentially if you drove the car well in a particular manner you conserved more curse energy like kinetic energy recovery system as it is to then be able to deploy it at will as a bit of a was a bit of a push to overtake like in, in, increased power from the electrical part of the power unit but yeah you had you had to be driving the car well in a particular manner to make an effective gain on on that power to to mm -hmm. have the resource yeah. there to use so but that, it, that was exists. like a 50 50 yeah but they don't use it in the same way i don't think to what they know they, they can like it's, it's automated a lot of it is automated now but like they can they can choose to save it up and deploy it at certain points on the track like they can change the settings from yeah, inside yeah. the car and say i want to save my um my energy deployment until this point track which is why sometimes you see that's why you see these drs trains. wait there's yeah, yeah. Because they're deploying people they're using, using it the to deployment defend. instead of using DRS. Yeah, they're using it to defend. Yeah. Um, so that that's still a thing, and that is a cool thing. There's there's no doubt about that. I, I like that. I like that. There's that that aspect of it, and you could say, how is that any different from using engine modes and all that kind of thing? They've yeah. still got the tools yeah. to defend with and to attack with. So it's just, I guess, they don't make like. On the broadcast and in the graphics, they don't really necessarily make that much of that like they used to. They used to show you the battery of how much battery the car yeah. had. And that was yeah. a really cool thing. And we've lost that. And they really need to get that back. I, one way or another, they need to get that back. I think the teams are a little bit secretive about it. But I think it would benefit the broadcast for us to see how much charge was in the batteries of the car. Or even, even if there's a way of seeing that it's being used. Yeah. Even, exactly. even if it's just something visual that shows you... They are in like a high power. Yeah, a light on the car using big, that power. Well, I was going to say like on the top of the car. I'm, I'm sure yeah. some people are sick of us talking about Formula E already, but like mm. Formula E have like the lights on the halo and IndyCar yeah. as well. IndyCar have an on-screen thing of like how many seconds of their push to pass they've got left. So there are like yeah ways of displaying that information to make it kind of more awesome. interesting, accessible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, last question from Kieran Sinfield. With the Mercs possibly developing both cars in different ways, do you think it's maybe the best way to win the Constructors' Championship if both cars are good at different tracks? Ooh. Like when we say this is a Red Bull track or this is a Ferrari track, it would be this is a Mercedes A track and this is a Mercedes B track. Wait, so... We're, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, are we saying that there's two different... Di are we saying there's two different Mercedes on track, depending on which driver, you, whether you're Russell or Hamilton now? Is that what's going on here? Uh, that's yeah. that's the general that's idea, the, yeah. You've got... That's the general rumour. You've got, you got two cars, so you 
development in slightly different directions. Where's that come from, that rumour? The internet in general. Yeah, I've got to say this is a new rumour on me. Um, I I mean, yes, that is one way of approaching a Constructors' Championship. Where's Um, your budget cap go? (laughs) Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? It's like you're spreading yourself (laughs) too thin potentially, aren't you? I don't think it's realistic to maintain either no. to develop the two cars in two different ways. And if depending on how drastically different they actually end up being, I mean, was we've done the maths before, like win every other race because like one car's good and the other car's not, but mm-hmm. or consistently finish like fourth and fifth together. Like consistently finish fourth and fifth together is yeah. better than Someone finishing on the podium and someone finishing out the point statistically. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like, it just mathematically makes more sense to be yeah. consistently good between both cars. I think, with respect, thank you for the question. But <laughs> don't believe everything you read on the internet. I think this is pie in the sky. I think there's no way that yeah, the, the, bud- I think would, so well. the budget cap would not allow for you to develop an A car and a B car in this way <laughs> this season. Like it's just not possible for a team. You need to, you kind of, it, it forces them to put all of their eggs into one basket, which is why Mercedes are struggling. Otherwise they'd already have a solution to this. It sounds more to me like they're maybe going to run a couple of different specs of car this weekend in order to test new parts and compare them against each other and will yeah. then choose a direction based on how that goes. I was I, I was gonna say wait for the egg on face as Hamilton starts running a car with side pods for the rest <laughs> of the season and George continues with the side podless car. I mean I'd love to see it. <laughs> It'd be very interesting if they did. I doubt it very much. He's he's definitely I think more along the lines of they have a couple of things that they are probably going to run through yeah. free practice uh, that would depending on the outcome, take them in different directions. And that's that's more likely, I would say, where the rumour has come from, if there is any, like, credit to it or anything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I include us with the don't believe everything you read on the internet as well. Even <laughs> just, like, obviously, we could be, I could be completely wrong. Maybe they do. Maybe they've found a way of... of manipulating the budget cap so that they can develop two cars in a row. I'd be very happy to be wrong. I doubt it, but it's possible. Um, These guys, you know, they're great thinkers in Formula One. They can think their way and engineer their way out of all kinds of problems, including rules. So just look at at Red Bull's skate that they've got on their car. (laughs) Totally illegal. (laughs) Like, how have they got away with that? I don't know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, anyway, that kind of brings us to an end um <laughs> seems a weird place for us to end telling you not to believe a word we say i mean just <laughs> over an hour talking about formula one i think we do we've got a decent idea but yeah it's kind of um it'll all be moot by uh by friday practice anyway when we see everyone yeah. doing totally different things to what we've just said so um you can find us on all of the internets just by searching for back of the grid we're on facebook we're on twitter we're on instagram we're on the whole beans um don't forget to like share and subscribe the episode um it helps us very much in fact the entire podcast just like and share all of our ting um, you can submit your predictions at backofthegrid.com you can get in touch with us from backofthegrid.com as well as on all the other social media channels and um, a big thank you to all of our patrons for supporting us. Um, you make 
this a whole lot easier and a lot sort of better for us to do and a lot more fun and a hell of a lot more fun yeah yeah um it's always i always enjoyed in the episodes when they're really chatty in the discord um and bringing that up so and i enjoy what you can if you do join the discord if you join us on patreon you can um join us during race weekends where we will be where we're always in a um the, the discord chat is always popping off during sessions so yeah um, fandas and all the or things. Eurovision, as we did the other day. Eurovision, <laughs> did you do Eurovision the other day? <laughs> there, there was some Eurovision live chat going on. What was there? I did, you didn't mention that. I was, li- I was literally with you for Eurovision. You didn't even say anything about this. I mean, I wasn't paying much attention to it because I was in a room with people. But it was, don't it was say happening. that. Don't say. Don't, don't tell me you're not paying attention to it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> right, we need to go. We need to go. That's it. Before Chris has digs us any deeper into this hole. So we will see you in a week's time when we review the Spanish Grand Prix. So let's all look forward to a good one. Catch you later. Bye. 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 Literally put myself in a position where there were I was gonna offend someone, whatever I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>